0: Today we're continuing this series that we're doing through Advent, which I've called Great Expectations, because that's what Advent is all about, is raising our sense of expectation as we head rapidly towards Christmas. Uh, We don't want it to sneak up on us. We want to be able to explore all the different themes that become a part of the Christmas narrative. And to do that, we're looking at the reality that Jesus came as our newborn King. And so we understand that Jesus came to establish a new kingdom, and so we're exploring the four themes of Advent, hope, love, joy, and peace, uh, and the ways in which those fit with this kingdom that Jesus comes to establish, because the reality is that the sort of king that Jesus comes to be is very, very different from the sort of king that we often think about, and certainly the sort of king that people expected Jesus to become. And so last week we talked about the idea of the kingdom being like God's dream, because this idea of a kingdom is something that can be a little bit hard for us to get our heads around sometimes, but last week we talked a bit about what it means to understand that God has a dream for creation, and we explored that last, year, uh, last term, where we talked about how God created us to be in a full, complete relationship with Him, with the people around us, and with His creation. And so God's dream is filled with this word peace that we will explore in a couple of weeks, the idea of living life the way that we were created to be able to live. And so when we think about the kingdom being established, we can think about God's dream becoming a reality, that that's what Jesus comes to set into motion. And so today we're going to have a look at a different picture of what the kingdom also looks like. And so inside of Caring Connection, you have your teaching notes. So uh, feel free to grab them and jot things down as we go through today's message. We're using different parables to be able to unpack what it looks like to explore these themes of the kingdom. And uh, we've talked before about how parables are stories that have an extra layer of meaning underneath them. So they're really, really great stories But as you get towards the end of them, you start to realise, wait a minute, there's a whole lot more going on here than I first realised. And last week I said it's kind of like a really amazing movie that you go and see and it's kind of a great story and then as you get towards the end of it, you suddenly realise, hold on a minute, there's a whole bunch of extra stuff that's going on here below the surface and then when you go back and rethink your way through the story, you realise, wow, there's a lot more for me to understand here. And so today as we explore this theme of love for the second week of Advent, we're going to look at a parable that is honestly extremely shocking and extremely controversial. And the challenge for those of us who've been around the church a long time is that this parable is very familiar to us, but when Jesus was telling this parable, it would have blown the minds of the people who were listening. They would have been completely shocked and scandalized by some of the things that Jesus was saying. So we're going to try and enter into that a little bit more this morning and see how we go. So, Luke 15, chapter uh, verse 11. Jesus went on to say, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger one said to him, "Father, give me my share of the property now." And so the man divided his property between his two sons. So, straight away, Jesus is saying something that's really quite shocking. Because in reality, when do you normally get an inheritance from someone? When they die. So this younger son is effectively saying to his dad, Dad, you're actually no use to me whatsoever. The only thing that you're good for is the money that I'll get when you die. So I'm wondering, can we just kind of speed that up? Can I have that money now? So effectively what this younger son is saying to his dad is, Dad, I wish you were dead. That's a pretty shocking start <laughs> that Jesus says here. I wish you were dead. I just want the property. I want the money that's due to me. Now, how would you expect a father to respond in this instance? <laughs> You'd probably say, well, you're not going to get any of it. Not only now, but not in the future either. You're going to get written out of the will. <laughs> that's the end of that if that's what your mindset is. But that's not at all what we see happen. The father instead splits his property between his two sons. He follows through with this. So this is the first shock and amazing thing that Jesus says here. Well, verse 13, after a few days, the younger son sold his part of the property and left home with the money. He went to a country far away where he wasted his money in reckless living. He spent everything he had. And then a severe famine spread over that country and he was left without a thing. So he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him out to his farm to take care of the pigs. He wished he could fill himself with the bean pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything to eat. So Jesus is really trying to help his listeners understand that this guy completely bottoms out. So he sells off the part of the property that he's got, he takes the money for that, and he gets out of there. And he goes and he lives it up, spends his money on everything that you can possibly imagine, until the money all runs out. And just when the money runs out, there's a huge famine that hits the country that he's in. Food is really, really scarce. No doubt, food prices probably went up, so he's got even less ability to be able to get anything. So what does he do? He goes and gets a job working at a pig farm. Now, we all think that pigs are kind of a little bit smelly. I know Neil loves pigs, so he would not necessarily agree with that. But pigs, when most of us think about them, (laughs) think of these dirty, disgusting animals that kind of snort and make awful smells. But for a Jewish listener, what Jesus is trying to drive home is that this is the bottom rung. Pigs were these very unclean animals for people who were Jewish. And so Jesus is intentionally saying that this guy went and worked in a pig farm to not just say he's bottomed out and he's working in this job where he's pretty dirty and whatever. He's saying this guy has become completely unclean. Spiritually unclean, ritually unclean, relationally unclean, socially unclean. As if you go and spend time with pigs, you're just as unclean as those animals are. That's how desperate this young man is. He's got nothing, and so he says, I'm going to throw everything away and go and work in this job. But even in that, he can't get anything to eat. And think about how desperate you would have to be to say, I would happily eat pig food. That's how hungry I am. But we're told no one gave him anything to eat. This guy has completely bottomed out altogether. So, verse 17, at last he came to his senses and he said, all my father's hired workers have more than they can eat and here I am about to starve. I'll get up and go to my father and say, father, I've sinned against God and against you. I'm no longer fit to be called your son. So treat me as one of your hired workers. So he got up and he started back to his father. He realizes that even the people who are employed by his dad have it better than he does. And so he works out his speech, decides I'm going to go back on my hands and knees, I'm going to grovel, I'm going to apologise and hope that maybe I can just be accepted back as one of the hired workers. And I wonder if any of us have been there at different times in our lives where we've hit rock bottom. Maybe because of choices that we've made, maybe not because of choices that we've made. But we hit that place where we say, I don't know how I got to where I am. The bottom of my world has completely fallen out and I've got nothing. And in that moment, we fall on our hands and knees and we say, God, where are you in the midst of all of this? Is there anything that you can do for me? I'm not asking for everything. I'm just asking for anything at all. And particularly in those moments where we are the product of the choices that we've made, what do you think God's thoughts are when we turn to him like that? When we come and we say, God, is there anything that you can do? I've hit rock bottom. I've got nothing left. What do you think God's thoughts are towards us? It's what Jesus is trying to help us unpack as we look at the interaction that happens now as the son returns home. Second half of verse 20. The son was still a long way off from home when his father saw him. His heart was filled with pity and he ran threw his arms around his son and kissed him. again is where Jesus is saying some very controversial, very shocking things about what's going on here. So first of all, we recognise that the son was still a long way off when the father saw him. The picture that that gives us is not of a father who's moved on with his life. This is a father who you can imagine is kind of sitting on his porch day after day after day, scanning the horizon, hoping that maybe today is the day When my son will come home you can kind of imagine him sitting there people coming up and offering him food and he's saying no i'm not really that hungry you can imagine people coming and saying what do you want to do about this part of the business and him saying i'm not really that interested you can tell there's this sense of him just yearning for his son to come home even after the interactions that he's had then all of a sudden one day this little tiny speck appears on the horizon His hopes start to well up. His heart starts to beat a bit faster. Could this be the day? Is this my son? And then he realizes that it is. And so does he wait for the son to get all the way to the porch, give his big, I'm really sorry, groveling apology? No, he gets up and he runs to his son. And here again, Jesus is saying some very controversial things. A few weeks ago, when we were doing our first Peter series, we talked about the idea of girding the loins of our mind. And we talked about this idea of girding our loins, which was something that was something that happened in Jesus' day, that men wore these long tunics. And so in order for them to do physical labor or in order for them to run, they would need to do this little trick where they'd hitch their skirts up so that they could then do the work that they need to do. So with Jesus just saying he ran to his son, he's implying a whole bunch of things. That this guy has girded his loins, he's tied up his tunic, which means that he's also shown a little bit of leg, and then he's started running. And both of those things are disgraceful things to do in Jesus' culture. So here we have a father whose son has said, I wish you were dead, who has then sold off a whole part of his property, who has lost all of that money, and this guy has no doubt heard rumours about what's been going on, and you can imagine what the neighbours think. You can imagine what everyone else thinks about him. And yet when this son comes home, what's his response? Do even more stuff that the neighbours are going to talk about. Hitch his skirts up and run. This is really, really amazing, the response that this guy's got. Completely undignified, completely unexpected. Verse 21, well, the son starts his speech. Father, I've sinned against God and against you. I'm no longer fit to be called your son. But the father called to his servants, "Hurry," he said, "bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring, put a ring on his finger, and shoes on his feet. Then go and get the prize calf and kill it and let us celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's been found." And so the feasting began. It's a really, really crucial word in this set of verses that we've got the start of verse 22. It's the word, but there's a whole bunch of meaning that's unpacked there in the message translation, which says, but the father wasn't even listening. The idea here is not that what we would probably expect the son says his speech, he gets down on his knees and the father says, okay, well, I can see that you're really, really sorry. So now I'll say all of these things. But in actual fact, what Jesus is trying to communicate is that the father is paying no attention to what his son is saying. He's already made up his mind before his son even speaks a word. And so he says to his servants, his son's saying this speech, and he's just completely ignoring him and saying to the servants, go and get these things. And the three things that Jesus mentioned are also layered with an incredible amount of meaning. First of all, he says, bring the best robe and put it on him. You can imagine the state that his son would have been in. Rags, dirty, disgusting, what he's been working, but then this long journey that he's been on. And so his father says, no, put on the best robe that we've got, the robe that's kept for special occasions, the robe that we only bring out when there's something really, really significant that's happened. Go and get that and put it on him. Secondly, a ring. The importance of this is that this would have been like a signet ring, which is effectively the father saying, you now have the authority to make decisions on behalf of the family. It was that type of family ring. And then thirdly, sandals. There was a big difference between people who were a part of a family and people who were servants. And one of the most obvious ways to know the difference is who's wearing shoes. People who were a part of the family were wearing shoes, sandals. Servants generally wouldn't have. And so he says, get this guy some shoes, get him some sandals so that he knows that he's a part of the family. What Jesus is communicating here is that the father does everything that he possibly can to fully restore his son, to say, you are a part of the family. This is who you are. These are the symbols that remind you that none of that has changed. Despite what's happened, you are a part of the family. So they fire up the barbecue, they turn on the music, and the feast begins. Verse 25, in the meantime, the older son was out in the field. On his way back, when he came close to the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come back, the servant answered, and your father has killed the prized calf because he got him back safe and sound. So the older son has been out in the fields working all day. No doubt he's really, really tired. He's probably looking forward to coming home, have something to eat, go to bed. And as he gets closer and closer to the house, he suddenly, what's that noise? There's music. There's laughing. There's always, what's that smell? I can smell barbecue beef. What's going on here? He suddenly starts to wonder. So he grabs one of the servants and he says, what's happening? And he's told, your brother has come home and so your dad has put on this amazing feast this welcome home party for him if you were the older son how would you respond in this moment knowing what you know about the choices that the younger son has made how would you feel would you say great my brother's home I can't wait to wrap my arms around him I've heard about all these awful things that have been going on for him I can't wait to see him well that's not at all the impression that Jesus gives us Verse 28, the older brother was so angry that he wouldn't come into the house. So the father came out and begged him to come in. But he spoke back to the father. Look, all these years I've worked for you like a slave and I've never disobeyed your orders. And what have you given me? Not even a goat for me to have a feast with my friends. But this son of yours wasted all your property on prostitutes. And when he comes back home, you kill the prize calf for him. Ouch. A little bit of an anger issue going on inside of this guy. He's so angry that he won't even go into the party. He doesn't want to have anything to do with his brother. And listen to the language, and you can totally imagine the tone of the older brother. All these years, I've worked for you like a slave. I've never disobeyed your orders. And what have you given me? Not even a goat so that I could have a party with my friends. But this son of yours, not my brother... This son of yours, who's gone and wasted all of your money, comes home and this is the response Are you kidding me? I wonder whether any of us have ever been in that situation where we look at what's happening with other people and sometimes a little bit of resentment, a little bit of bitterness can start to kick in inside of us. How come this person has it so easy? How come, given all the bad choices this person has made, that their life seems to be working out okay? God, I do all this stuff for you. I try my best to live the best life that I possibly can. How come stuff's so hard for me? Do we ever get to that place where there's a little bit of resentment, feeling like we try to do everything right, yet feeling like everyone else somehow seems to get away with stuff? Well, what's really fascinating here is something that Jesus said right at the beginning of the story. In verse 12, Jesus said, the man divided his property between his two sons. Sometimes we forget with this parable that what happened at the start was not that the father said, okay, I'm going to split off this part of the property and give that to the younger son and then I'm going to keep the rest. Jesus says he divided the property between his two sons. The clear implication here is that both sons have been given the inheritance, that the father has nothing left now whatsoever. Everything has been given to the older son that wasn't given to the younger son. So it's really fascinating, this mindset that this older son has had. All these years, I've slaved away for you. You've never given me anything, not even a little goat for me to have a bit of a party with my friends. In actual fact, all of this stuff was his the whole time. And how sad is it that this guy spends his whole life trying to work to earn something that's been given to him already. If he wanted to have a goat party, it was his goat. He could have done it at any point that he wanted to. All of this stuff was his, and yet his mindset was completely about, I slave away, I work really, really hard in the hopes that one day I'll be able to prove that I deserve all of this stuff. And yet all of it's already been given to him. Well, in verse 31, the father responds and says, My son, you're always here with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be happy because your brother was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's been found. This is this incredibly profound parable that Jesus tells, which is a phenomenal story just on its own. But Jesus tells this story with one reason in mind, to help us and the listeners to be able to understand what our heavenly father is like. Jesus tells this whole story to be able to say, do you want to know what God is like? This is what God's like, the father in this story. Do you want to know what the kingdom is like? Do you want to know what the values are of this kingdom that God wants established here on earth? This is what it's like. What's interesting is that Jesus doesn't tell us whether the older son ends up entering into the party. That's the end of the parable. We also don't actually know whether the younger son chooses to enter into the party either, for that matter. We assume that he does, but we don't know that for sure. What Jesus is trying to help us understand is that God has thrown this lavish welcome home party for every single one of us. Everything has been done for us to be welcomed in. And he leaves us with this choice. Are you willing to enter the party? Are you willing to come in? And For different ones of us, we end up in different places around that. For some of us, we resonate with the younger son and there's some stuff that we need to let go of in order to enter in. For some of us, we resonate with the older son and there's some stuff we need to let go of to be able to enter in. But as we talk about these pictures of the kingdom, another way that we can understand what the kingdom is like is that the kingdom is like a welcome home party. That's what Jesus tries to say through this parable. This picture of music and dancing and food and drink and people spending time together and hanging out, this amazing sense of joy, this amazing sense of restoration, being able to understand this is who you've always been, exactly what we were just singing. This is who you are. Not because you've earned it, not because you've done enough, but because this is who God says you are. So the party has started and you're invited in. The kingdom of love that Jesus comes to establish is not a kingdom that's about us trying to slave away, trying to work hard enough that hopefully one day we can earn what God has for us. But neither is the kingdom of love, a kingdom that's about us groveling enough and trying to make up for the mistakes that we make In our lives, the kingdom of love is about the lavish, extraordinary, over the top love of a father who wants to do everything necessary for us to understand that we are loved, that we are his kids, that we are at home, that we are a part of all that he's got for us. So, as we wrap up a message today. We're going to use the same question that we're going to use all the way through this series, just with a variation on it. As we go through this series, we're talking about if Jesus comes to establish this type of kingdom, if Jesus comes as a king, then what does that mean about our expectations? So our reflection question today is, how does the king of love reshape our expectations? If Jesus comes as the king of love, he comes to establish the kingdom of love, how does that reshape our expectations about what life is all about? and about what we celebrate as we head towards Christmas. And in particular today, the challenge for us is to wrestle with this story and to say, where do we fit within it? For some of us, as I said, we really do resonate with the younger son. And it may be that there's some stuff in our past that we find really, really hard to let go of. Mistakes that we've made, people that we've hurt, things that we've said, things that we've done that we feel like I have to be able to make up for this. I've prepared my speech. I'm ready to come before God and get down on my hands and knees and say, I don't want everything or just anything. Will you just include me even as one of your servants? Some of us come from that mindset where we feel like what we've done is just too enormous to be able to be welcomed back into the family. Some of us fit into the category of the older son where if we're honest, we spend a lot of our time trying as hard as we can to earn god's love to earn god's favor that a lot of the things that we do are motivated purely by saying hopefully one day i'll be worthy of being able to get this stuff and so in our weaker moments in our darker moments we kind of tend towards that same language god why is this so hard why slave away all these years i've been working so hard why can't this stuff just work out for me Most of us end up fitting sometimes into one category, sometimes into the other, and there's a spectrum there that we shift along. But the end result that Jesus communicates to us is exactly the same. Because of Jesus' arrival as the newborn king, the kingdom of love has been established. The welcome home party has begun. And in some ways, Advent is kind of like us getting ready for a welcome home party, it's us doing the shopping and buying the stuff and the decorations and working out the playlist that we're going to have, getting the food ready, firing up the barbecue. Advent is the process of us getting ready to celebrate this awesome party. And Christmas Day is the beginning of the party. It's the moment when we say, okay, it's time to eat. It's time to celebrate. It's time to have joy and fun together. Jesus' arrival has this little tiny baby sets up the opportunity for this amazing welcome home party to get going. It helps us to understand God's amazing, lavish, extraordinary, over-the-top, undeserved love for every single one of us. It's this amazing gift that's been given to all of us. All of us are invited in. So the question that we're left with is, are we willing to go into the party. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you again that you come as our newborn king. As we are going to celebrate in a couple of weeks, you come to establish this new kingdom that is filled with the stuff that all of us crave in our lives. A kingdom that's filled with hope, with love, with joy, and with peace. Today, as we focus on that theme of love, we're so grateful that that's the whole reason that you came, that you didn't come to make us fall down on our knees and grovel and realise all the bad things that we've done in our lives and what's needed to make up for that. You didn't come to say, here's the rules, here's all the things that you have to achieve in order to deserve this love. You came to show us and to teach us what the extraordinary love of our Heavenly Father is like. And we thank you in particular for this parable, this amazing story that is so filled with so much meaning. It challenges us about our expectations, challenges us about the ways in which we look at our Heavenly Father. Some of us are in a place where we do feel like the younger son, where we feel like we've made mistakes, where we feel like we've blown it. We thank you that you accept us, that you welcome us back in and that the party has started, that everything is done to restore us and to help us understand how much you love us. Some of us resonate with being the older son. We're sorry for those times that we work and we strive and we put everything in with this mindset to try and hopefully earn something that you've already given to us. For all of us, I pray that you would help us to know that the party's begun that each one of us is welcomed in, each one of us is invited to participate in this amazing Welcome Home Party. Each one of us is invited to help other people to experience the gloriousness of this Welcome Home Party, of this kingdom. Help us to be people as we head into this week who continue to advocate for that, who continue to help other people to discover what your kingdom of love looks like. In your name we pray. Amen.